Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hey, how are you? It's Linda and... Richard Iyer, and we are actually home this week. We're not on the road. Isn't it? Well, we've been on the road a lot, just back and forth between commitments, trying to catch up. If you think we sound relaxed this week, it's because we are. Boy, you know, there's nothing like plane after plane after plane to make you appreciate home sweet home. I think we mentioned one one week a little while ago about a a great speech we heard where the, the theme of it was a simple, quiet evening at home. And that's what we've been having lately. We even got to watch the Academy Awards, and it's just very relaxing being hanging out here at the home front, isn't it, Linda? It is. We really like being home once in a while, and uh, we are getting ready to leave again a week from tomorrow. For three weeks, we'll be in... Indonesia, and we'll be in Jakarta, and we'll be in Singapore, and cool. a lot Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. But you know, we did. Uh, we're going to talk a little about what it means to raise a successful child today. But before we do, Linda, you know, because the Academy Awards just got over, we wrote our newspaper column this week on on movies and sort of the love-hate relationship we have with movies. I, I just, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you listeners. We love movies. We think movies are the storytellers of our of our era. And we think you have to get out to the movies once in a while just to see what stories are being told in our society. And some of them are terrifying. I mean, we don't see the really raunchy stuff we we do a pretty good job of checking before we go to know what we're going to see. But it really is quite amazing what um, people can produce and give you insight to the lives of people. Um, we particularly liked um, Walter Mitty this year, and we loved um, Philomena. Philomena, and we loved Finding Mr. Banks, which did not even it's get nominated. Did you know that they played? They played. Um, a spoonful of sugar at the end of the Oh, maybe, that was, maybe, their, that, was maybe their that was their food. concession. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it's obvious to those of you who know us that uh, the problem we have with, with movies, but let me be positive for a minute first. Let me say a positive thing, and then I'll get to my negative thing, and then we'll move on to our theme for the day. I, you know, we've got some local filmmakers growing up in, in the Mormon church and in Utah and in the Mountain West who have found that with today's technology, you can produce a, quite an amazing movie for a fraction of the cost that it used to cost. And, of course, a big part of that is is video and electronics as opposed to film. But... Um, it really is amazing what what some producers in this area are doing with less than a million dollars for a film. And, of course, blockbuster Hollywood films routinely cost $100 million. So it's pretty amazing. We um, have a good friend named Paul Parkinson who lives up in Logan and who, who just produced a film called Nowhere Safe. And I think we saw a special screening of it the other day, and I think it's going to do really well. 
partly because he's a good producer and he has a good director, the Bruff family. Um, Brian Bruff is the director and his sister Brittany uh, was the screenwriter. But the reason I think it'll do well, first of all, it's well done. It's well produced, well directed, and it has surprisingly good actor, good acting. But also, it's on such a current topic. It's about bullying in a school. It was filmed all in Pleasant Grove, Utah. And it exceeded our expectations, I think, in every way. And we also like uh, a good friend of ours is T.C. Christensen, who produced Ephraim's Rescue, a very different film, a historical film about the frontier and about the West. And and, and he did it for a, a surprisingly low budget as well. And it was well done. So that's the hopeful side. Now, the unhopeful side is that you look at a lot of these $100 million movies and it's not, again, I just want to make this point. It's not, I'm not against immorality in movies if it's portrayed accurately. I mean, every, almost every piece of good literature, including the Bible, has plenty of immorality in it, but it's portrayed accurately with consequences. What I'm against is the movies, whether they're PG-13 or PG or whatever they are, which laugh at sacred values, and essentially, they're not immoral, they're amoral. And what I mean by that is, you know, everyone goes to bed on the first date, and, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's exciting to, to be a little dishonest and to do this and that. And they, It's not that they are immoral, they're just amoral. They just ignore the idea of right and wrong and ignore the idea of consequences. But I think that those are the movies that are really affecting our kids in the most negative way of all. Sorry, I got a little soapboxy there, honey. Yeah, you did. But uh, we are just always so excited when we see a great movie that you can take your kids to without any worries and uh, nowhere safe was like that. It really was terrific, a, a movie on bullying which is one of the biggest problems of our age, and I'm sure it's always been there, but um, they bring a lot of things to light that we may not know. Now that we have the Internet, the cyberspace thing is very, very scary. So um, congratulations to all that team that produced that great movie, and we hope you get a chance to see it. We really do. Now, let's talk a little about raising successful children. First of all, you gotta you gotta say, what are you talking about? How do you define success? And and that's a big question because would you rather have a child who excels in everything and gets into Harvard and goes to Wall Street and makes a million dollars a year? Or would you rather have a kid who is a good person and who has values and who raises a wonderful family and who's loyal and true? And, of course, the answer is maybe you'd like to have both. Yeah, I think we would. In fact, if we had our choice, I think I'd rather have a good kid <laughs> than a, a highly successful kid that can't relate. But um, that's not what we're about. We're talking about what it is that creates success and children and we found the most interesting article. In fact, a friend sent it to us by email a little bit ago. And uh, it was in the Sunday Review of the New York Times, and it was by Amy Chua and Jed Rubenfeld, who on January 25th 
and it's really made its way around the Internet because it has so many interesting things to say. I mean, Amy Chua, you'll recognize this probably, is The Tiger Mother. She wrote the famous book um, called The Tiger Mother. Which has been praised and maligned with equal vigor from both sides. It, essentially, in case you're not familiar with that, just as an introduction, The Tiger Mother sort of advocates I don't know. I would describe it, Linda, as an extremely aggressive form of parenting where kids are expected to be the best at everything they do and where there's severe penalties if they don't perform well, whether it's on the piano or in their grades at school or whatever. And it's kind of a book that puts down sort of casual American child rearing where we're not very disciplined and kids can kind of do what they want and they spend a lot of time on mindless extracurricular things and they don't get down to business and get A's and learn to be a concert violinist and so so on and so forth. Well, I, I really hope that Amy Chua's kids turned out well because one of them turned into a fabulous musician and the other one rebelled. And um, she's a strong, sensible mother, and probably they've got things resolved by now. She doesn't say anything about that in this article, but she um, teamed up with this Jed uh, Rubenfeld, and together they wrote a, a really thought-provoking article, we thought, um, about what it takes to produce success. And she starts the article by saying that... Um, she says, a seemingly un-American fact about America today is that for some groups, much more than others, upward mobility and the American dream are alive and well. It may be taboo to say it, but certain ethnic, religious, and national origin groups are doing strikingly better than Americans overall. Now, can you just guess from that introduction which group she's talking about? Well, she really kind of singles out three, and you might guess what they are. One is Jews. Jewish people have enormous success rates by most measurements, academic, financial, and artistic. And One is two, Indian Americans. Indian, Indian Americans. It says um, they earn almost double the national figure. Um, this is Americans who have ancestry in India. Right, or who have Certainly not Native India. Americans. And then the last one is Mormons. Well, she talks about Asian Americans as well, but, but you know, then there's sort of two religions that are mentioned, are the Jewish religion and the Mormon religion, and the two ethnic backgrounds that are mentioned are, are most prominently are Americans who have their ancestry in India or in Asia, not just China, but right. Asia in general, Korea, very strong, and so on. But then what's, what we think is fascinating is she boils it down to the three characteristics that seem to drive these groups, these groups who succeed by almost any measurement far above the average. And what are, and what does she call them, Linda, the triple threat or the trifecta or the, uh, um, the, the triple combination? <laughs> the triple combination. But um, the triple package. The triple package. The triple package to create success, um, starting with our kids and going, you know, right up through there. And, and some of this we agreed with, some we didn't. Um, well, tell what those triple packages are. Well, it's interesting because it's kind of counterintuitive because the first two are because of a superiority complex. 
which we can see, you know, people are successful because they know they can do what they think they can do and they know how to go after it. Well, they sort of have pride. I'm, because I'm Jewish, I'm expected to do this and this and this. Right. Or because I come from a background that's a little harsh as an Asian American who's immigrated here, I need to do this and this and this. So they, they have kind of a pride as the first factor, kind of a, I can succeed and I will succeed because that's what we do. That's what our group does. Okay, but the next one is an inferior complex, inferiority complex, which is really interesting when you think about it. And I think you jumped the gun a little bit on that because I think a lot of immigrants feel that they are inferior because they don't have the head start that some of our kids do when they come to America. Um, but it is so interesting that they feel a little bit inferior and they feel a responsibility to their their ancestors who gave up so much to get them here. That well, even though they're inferior, they have a huge need to succeed. I'd, I'd say it a little differently. I don't think they feel inferior. I think they feel they have to prove something because they are there's prejudice against them. There's uh, you know they feel like their group. In their heart, they feel like their group, whether it's their ethnicity or their religion, is, is inherently superior, but they feel like they have to prove that to the world. They feel like they're being put down, like they, they, they're being thought of as inferior. So it's this sort of dynamic tension between, I really think I'm, I'm part of a group that, that exceeds and excels, but at the same time, we're in danger of prejudice, and we need to prove ourselves over and over and over again to the world. And so you can see how that would apply to a Jewish person or to a, an Asian-American person or to, to a Mormon. Let's be honest. Yeah. A lot of us worry so much about what people think of us. And Well, we came from pioneer stock, people who had to struggle for every single thing they have, and, and so therefore we feel some responsibility to do well, and, it's, and it says here, it's odd to think of people feeling simultaneously superior and insecure. So we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to tell you what the third factor is in the triple package. And uh, then we're going to tell you what we think of this article in general. And you may find that Linda and I have a slightly different uh, opinion, but that's very rare for us to you mean have. from each other or from the article? From each other. Yeah, that's always true. That's very rare. So we'll be back after this brief break. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hey, 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 we're back and we're talking about this article that claims there's a triple package that parents need to have or that groups need to have, ethnic or religious groups, if they're going to exceed all the averages in terms of the success they produce. So the implication is these are the three things you need to develop in your children if you want them to succeed. And we mentioned the first one is a sense of superiority. We're a group that, that accomplishes. This is what we do. We have a tradition and a history and a culture of success and achievement. Second one is, but we have still have to prove ourselves because we're looked down on by many and we don't have it easy and we need to overcome that. And the third one is? The third one is impulse control, the ability to resist temptation. 
I think that's really fascinating <laughs> because, you know, we all are tempted to take the easy route or, you know, make things as easy as possible and so on. And, and this leads me to think about, um, we have a son who's getting his master's at UPenn right now in positive psychology, and he has a professor there who um, is named Angela Duckworth, and she has done a TED Talk uh, that is just fascinating uh, about grit and how important it is for our kids to have grit. G-R-I-T. Grit. And this is what I think she is talking about here, and they mention it later in the article. And by the way, the article will be online on, on BYU Radio if you want to take a look at it. It's fascinating. But um, it really Well, there will be a link in, in a link, to the link article. A link to it, sure. Um, but anyway, it really is fascinating that grit is connected with self-control, and the ability to just go on no matter what and to push through hard times and so on. And I just think that is so important for kids uh, to learn. I don't know, I, I guess if they grow up with a work ethic in the home, that is so helpful because it really helps them to push through and have the grit they need to succeed. So you were going to read a little passage there, honey. Go ahead. Um, well, it just talks about impulse control and resisting temptation. It says the result is people who systematically sacrifice present gratification in pursuit of future in attainment. So basically we're talking about delayed gratification. So so I would here's the take I would put on those three factors in this what they call a triple package. They define it and articulate it a little differently than I would. I think that those three things are factors. But I would I would probably call them something different. I'd say one I'd probably put that last one first, delayed gratification. In other words, you're willing to work for something and you're willing to wait for something. The precise opposite of the entitlement mentality that our kids really have today. And then secondly, it would be I would probably call it tradition. We have a tradition of doing well. We have a tradition of doing our best. We have a tradition of trying our hardest and families that have that really tend to produce kids that are that are highly motivated well let me just uh, interject there though that also and you're probably going to get to this but um the fact that bruce feiler who's also one of our new favorite authors on families says that it's so important to have a family narrative and that family narrative includes the inferior uh, inferiority complex and the superior complex um, complex. It really is important to know that if my grandparents could do this and they survive, I can do this. Yeah, well, I think that really breeds success. That's the third one. That, that's how I would. That, that would be my terminology for them. Number one would be delayed gratification. Two would be tr- traditions and rituals within the family that that center around doing our best and trying hard. And then third would be. You know, no one's going to do this for us. We we can we can handle tough times, and nobody's going to hand anything to us. And we we do have to prove ourselves. We have to come up with the goods, and uh, you know we can't ride on our laurels just because our family seems to be oriented to doing well. We have to still find that ability individually. And so I think those are the three things they're saying. But here's. Here's the problem I have with it, Linda, and then I think I think you like this article better than I do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But I, the problem I have with it is the same problem I had with 
Amy Chua's book about the tiger mother. And the, the problem is sort of what we mentioned at the beginning. How do you define success? That's the, that's the question I have. I mean, all her examples and all her research have to do with sort of success in the accomplishment, achievement, recognition, competitive sense of the word. In other words, getting the top score in the class, being the valedictorian, um, being the concert mistress, getting the scholarship, going to the best school, um, uh, earning the most money, having the biggest house, driving the nicest car. And, and I, think, I think those are very tenuous ways to measure success. And I think, I, you know, we saw it a lot when we were in Korea and in Asia recently, when the kids who, easy to see sometimes when you reduce it down to kids, and here's kids that go to school eight hours a day, come, come home, have a little dinner, and then go to cram school for three hours in the evening to try to get a leg up on another kid so they can graduate at the top of the class so they can get in the right college so they can earn more money or get the best job or whatever. Or, somewhere. or let me just interject. Yeah. Um, when, when we were in Korea, we were amazed at the number of families that break up because they bring their children to America to boarding schools and the finest colleges because that is their number one priority. Well, I think English is the prerequisite to, to right. having that kind of success. Right. So, so my problem with this article and with uh, the earlier book, and I think this one's going to become a book too. I think this is the article. Yeah, I think it's a book. Or maybe it's a book that's already written and hasn't been published yet. But uh, my problem with it is I, I just think we've got to somehow factor in what we call joy or happiness, I don't like the word happiness as well because it's a little bit of a shallow word. We love the poem, happiness is a thing of here and now, the bright leaf in the hand, the, the, the fight accomplished or the summit won. When things go well, happiness may start, but joy is secret smiling of the heart. And if I pick it on joy, I'm going to say, are we sure that joy shouldn't be our measurement? It gets back to the whole reason we started joy schools years and years ago because we just felt like people were pushing these little two- and three-year-olds academically to exceed and to compete and to excel, and nobody ever gave them a chance to be a kid and to, to find enjoyment and happiness. So I'm all for success and achievement, but my goodness, we need to balance it with peace and contentment and relationships and happiness. Now, of course, you can't argue with that. <laughs> it's uh-huh. true. And I don't know that she has accomplished that. I'm not judging her because I don't know. I haven't been in her house. But judging from the tiger mother um, success for these children, in her view, is, as you said, getting good grades, playing a concerto, getting 99, getting 100 on the test instead of 99, and so on. And uh, you're absolutely right. It, it, there really isn't a word about happiness here. And I think the new, uh, the new byword in pop psychology right now is happiness. Everyone's looking for happiness. That's a positive trend. It is. And, uh, of course, you're happy if you're successful to a point, but you can also be very successful and unhappy. So I think we need to really add that part to it. Um, 
Now, I will say that, let me back off a little bit and say, if you were to ask me um, which direction are American households in general erring toward or erring toward, and I do think that we we are we really have become a very soft culture. We don't work very hard. Our schools are not very rigorous. I'm very I'm very much generalizing. Of course, there are exceptions to this, but as a rule, the the, the point that I think this article makes and that Amy Chua makes over and over and over is that maybe she's stating it in the extreme just to be a big contrast with the fact that so many of us in this country, are life is so easy. And I don't mean to say we don't have problems and difficulties, but life, you know, you can really slide along if you're a kid. You can really get by without putting forth much effort. And her point is let's crack the whip on these kids and let's teach them some discipline and let's show them that good is the enemy of best. And I, I don't disagree with that. And I think it's important that we're not continually, though, saying, thinking, I'm better than you are. I don't know if you ever had an inferiority complex. <laughs> I, maybe you did in high school. I, I didn't know. until I married you and I felt superior. And I was just going to say, I, I think probably you have had a superiority complex. <laughs> but um, I don't remember having either one of those. But I do remember... Practicing hard, I was a string major in college because my mother insisted that I practice two and a half hours a day. And Your mother would have liked Amy Chua. Yeah, she would have. <laughs> she was kind of a tiger mother in her own right. But I think we can, we don't need to keep proving to ourselves that, you know, it's it's the thing to do. How much time we got, Linda? I don't have my glasses on. Look at that number there. 27, about a minute. Oh, we got about a minute. So, um... I just leading up to that thing, let me just say this funny thing that Thomas Jefferson, to prove our superiority, sent a giant moose carcass to Paris to prove that America's animals were bigger than Europe's. So I thought, well, well, that can go to extremes in any which direction. But we hope that really you give this some thought and maybe take a look at it online uh, to the link because it really is very thought-provoking thinking about your ancestors and people, where you came from and your formula for success. Whether you read the article or not, my challenge to all of us, and ourselves included, would be look for balance. <clears throat> look for balance between high achievement and discipline and delayed gratification and all these things. Balance between that and some joy, some happiness, taking some time, not having, not having to not having to win out over someone else in order to find that you're happy yourself. Right on, brother. Talk to you next week. Thanks for See listening. Ya. See you next time on Iris on the Road. <laughs> <laughs>